exchange. Wow. I am so overwhelmed. Um, I'm a crier. I got it from my mama. So if I cry a couple times tonight, just pretend that that's not happening. Um, I, my faith is so encouraged tonight by all of you um, and by your pursuit of Jesus. I am so honored and humbled to be here tonight sharing with you what the Lord has put on my heart. I want to thank my dear friends, Mark and Michelle, Pastor Mark and Michelle, the leadership at The Exchange, the leadership at Grace Family Church, and I want to thank all of you for welcoming me in such a heartfelt way, in a different way than I'm normally up here inviting this new opportunity. Like Pastor Mark said, I do work here full-time at Grace Emily Church as one of the, the, the worship leader at our Carewood location, so right here on the weekends. And I do get the opportunity to be here with you every single Tuesday, and truly nothing fills my heart more. Um, so since it's a part of my job to be on stage, I don't get too jittery when I'm leading worship anymore, but I, stu I, I still do get a little bit jittery when I am given the opportunity to teach a message, especially when it's on the topic of what we're talking about tonight, because um, it's a little countercultural. <laughs> might hurt some people who are rough on the edges, might ruffle some of your feathers, so I'm just, I'm fully aware that I might ruffle some of your feathers tonight, but I want to communicate to you that I feel so convicted to share truth with you. What I'm going to share tonight is the gospel. It's my story. It's Philippians 2, and the gospel is super countercultural. This might feel like a confrontation because the gospel is a little bit confrontational, but we're so lucky that for as much truth as the word of God holds, it displays just as much grace for us as we lean into his Holy Spirit and do our best to do right by the Father and by his word. Whether you've been doing this church thing, this Jesus thing for 20 years, or it's your first time ever stepping into a church service, I want to say that I'm so glad that you are here. I'm hoping tonight that we can connect in a new way. I'm going to share my story. We're going to read some scripture. And I want to start by praying together. So go ahead and bow your heads with me. Dear Jesus, Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for the people that are in the room. Thank you for meeting us here. I pray that you would pierce our hearts tonight in a new way pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that's tangible, something that we can grasp and hold on to and stake our lives on. I pray, Lord, that I would simply just be your mouthpiece, that this would be your words and not mine, and that we would commune with you again tonight, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hope you got your Bibles out. Go ahead, if you haven't already, flip to Philippians chapter 2. While you are doing that, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is the lead pastor at a church called Morning Star Church over on Linebaugh Avenue. So, yes, whoop, whoop, indeed. So I was raised in the ways of the faith, um, grew up being taught the Bible. I was 
um, baptized and accepted Jesus on my own when I was seven, began leading worship when I was 14, ended up getting my degree in music with an emphasis in worship ministry from Lee University, and I have always known that Jesus was my friend and my Lord and my Savior and that he loved me, but I haven't always acted like I've known that, known that he was my Lord and my Savior and that he was my friend and he loved me. As you know, this series is helping us study the book of Philippians, and it's titled A Life Worth Living. Tonight, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is actually my favorite book of the Bible. It was written by the Apostle Paul while he was chained and imprisoned for his work for the gospel. The book of Philippians was actually originally a letter to um, the church in Philippi. And it's coined to be the happiest book of the Bible, which is funny when you know the context because, again, he wrote it while chained and imprisoned for his work for the gospel. If you were here last week, Pastor Mark taught from Philippians chapter 1 and taught us about joy and where to find it and what it means to be chained for the sake of the gospel. If you weren't here, make sure you go back and listen. We do have all of our sermons um, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. I really do believe that Mark teed it up for a grand slam. This series is going to be out of the park, and I'm so excited for what we're going to learn together. Because like I said earlier, even though I've always known and walked with Jesus my entire life, I have not always acted that way. If I could title tonight's message, I'd probably title it, The Truth About Humility. The Truth About Humility. The truth about humility is that it's a concept that we can only understand once we truly understand and grasp the concept of grace and the character of Jesus. So let's go ahead and look together at the text. And actually, instead of starting in chapter 2, verse 1, let's back it up a little bit. Find chapter 1, verse 29. I want to start there and then move through to chapter 2, verse 11, so we can see how all of this connects. Are you guys there? All right, let's do it. Chapter 1, verse 29 says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. He's summing up chapter 1 after just having told the church of Philippi, Look, I am chained for the sake of the gospel. Not metaphorically, literally, I am on a cold prison ground, chained up because of what I am doing on mission for Christ. And yet still, this is a privilege to suffer for him. And then he steamrolls right into chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and that should get somebody excited. Though we won't dive into the entire chapter today, I want to encourage you to go back and read the whole thing sometime this week. It's obvious when we read through this passage that the main theme is humility, right? Pastor Mark last week talked about how the main theme of chapter 1 is joy, and the main theme of chapter 2 is humility. And what I think is so interesting about this idea of joy and humility being directly linked is that it goes directly against what our culture teaches. I mean, this is counterintuitive. You know this. The world tells you to be your own boss, to do whatever it takes to climb to the top, to look out for you and only you in your own interests, and to be proud of all the hard work you've done to get yourself there. It's all about us. Well, in case you need a reminder, the gospel actually isn't about you. And it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus. When we think about humility, we also have to think about pride because the opposite of humility is pride. And I know that this is when we get a little squirmy. She said the P word. I'm secure enough in myself now to admit to you that pride has historically been my Achilles heel in my walk with Christ and my growth as a person. I was not a very humble child. I had gifts and I knew that. I was good at multiple things, and I knew that, and I really, really, really loved when other people knew it. I played all of the sports. I sang in choir. I was in theater shows, participated in numerous different school clubs and organizations. I mean, I was the girl who did it all, did everything. Unfortunately, my pride ended up playing a really grotesque role in my life in some ways that you can probably imagine or maybe have even experienced yourself. My pride ruined friendships. It brought me great frustration. It sabotaged my peace, put me through public embarrassment, all kinds of negative situations that I know I probably could have avoided if I had just kept my dang mouth shut sometimes. But this was it. I mean, this has been my great struggle. Last week, Pastor Mark asked all of us a question. He said, if you don't have joy, I would ask you if you have Jesus. I'll be honest, Mark, when you said that, I started thinking about all the times that I had Jesus, but I didn't feel very joyful. I was like, hold up. I think about the time in high school when I went out for a leading role and I lost it to someone else. And instead of cheering that person on and enjoying the entire experience, I let it ruin it for me because I thought that I deserved that role and that other person didn't deserve the role. I think about a time in early college when I tried to start a small group and no one came and I just kind of chalked it up to the fact that I was way more disciplined of a Christian than all of my other friends. I know it hurts. I'm trying to be honest and upfront with y'all. It's a little embarrassing. Like I said, I have been on a journey with Jesus my entire life and Lord, he's been patient with me, but I don't think that I experienced the true fulfillment of joy, the kind of joy that the Bible talks about for us to experience until about four years ago. So when Mark said that, I started to think, well, why is that? I mean, Paul had Jesus, 
In fact, you can argue that when he was chained for his work for the gospel, writing all these letters to churches all over the place, you could argue that the only thing that he had was Jesus. But then in verse 29, he calls it a privilege to suffer for Christ. You know what I imagine Paul in that prison cell? Can we, do you have that meme? This is what I imagine Paul being like in the prison cell. <laughs> Chaos around him, bleak and doom, but this is fine. We're good. Can we be honest about how most of us would have reacted if we were Paul in that situation? We probably would have said, yo, God, where are you at? I give my life to you for this. I was good on my own. I was living life, living large, feeling good in my sin. Then you came and messed it all up. And now I'm living for you just for them to treat me like a dog, to throw me in prison, to beat me and starve me. Lord, what gives? What gives? I'll be honest and say right now that I have reacted that way in situations when things weren't going the way that I thought that they should have been going. Times where I've cried and prayed and asked God, why in the world was he letting these things happen to me? Why am I suffering the way that I am suffering? But can you imagine if Paul had responded that way, full of bitterness and, and arrogance and pride? Pastor Mark last week said this, and I want to remind you today that Paul actually wrote this letter to Philippi from a heart of gratitude and love for the Philippians. This letter, these four, chapter of the book of, four chapters of the book of Philippians are actually not a rebuke. Paul was writing to them as like their big brotherly figure, cheering them on from afar as they followed Paul's teachings as Paul followed Christ. If Paul had responded to God's plan for his life full of pride, I wonder what that might have done to the church of Philippi. I wonder what that might have done to the church of today. Because I believe that the number one thing that can disrupt the body of Christ is pride. Paul even addresses this in this chapter, top of the passage. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Paul here is steamrolling right out of chapter one into chapter two saying, do you find your joy in Jesus? Do you find it a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ? Then show me by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Paul is addressing the church. In fact, Jesus even addressed his disciples in this way. In John chapter 13, and I'll catch you up, this is actually the night before Jesus was going to then be betrayed by one of his own, one of his disciples, one of his very best friends, still communing with them, still fellowshipping with them. Chapter 13, verses 35, 34 through 35, Jesus looks to his disciples and says, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus here is also addressing believers. The world will know who we answer to and will come to know the love of Jesus in their lives by the way we display our love for other believers. One of the main reason that reasons that non-believers write off church and Jesus altogether is because they're looking at how Christians are treating each other. Is anyone in here married? Show of hands, engaged, even dating. We'll include you. It's almost Valentine's Day. Might as well. 
<laughs> I've been married to my beautiful, amazing, awesome husband, Arvin, for almost a year and a half now. He was up here on the drums tonight. What do we often do when we're in an argument with our spouse or our boyfriend or our girlfriend? Well, I'm not apologizing first because he was totally rude to me and I totally didn't deserve, and you know what, he started it. I don't even think I have anything to apologize for, so it's definitely not gonna be me, right? Show of hands on that one. Okay, a few honest folks. But we all do it, we're all guilty. And what is that? It's pride. Recently, <laughs> recently, Arvin and I got into a pretty big argument, and um, I told you earlier, I'm a crier. I mean, like, I cry as often as it rains in the summertime, but this time I was like, boo-hoo crying, and I was mad. I was in our bedroom, and I stormed into the kitchen, and I gripped the kitchen countertops, and I was sitting there just full of angst and full of anger. It was everything I could do not to bite his head off. After a few minutes, he comes into the kitchen. <laughs> he puts his arms around me. He says, baby, this is the enemy trying to divide us. So I'm sorry. I want you to know that I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I was doing while he was mustering up the courage and the pride to say that? Well, I'm not going to apologize for it because he was so rude to me and I can't believe that he would even make me feel this way. You, you have to understand. <laughs> it was my pride. And no, I'm not perfect and Arvin's not perfect and we're never going to get it 100% completely right, but we have the responsibility to at least give it our best shot. Pride is what keeps us from unity with each other. The enemy would love for us to all sit up on our high thrones and our ivory towers and refuse to be the one to apologize first. The enemy would love that. But what happens when pride keeps us from unity within the church? What happens when pride keeps us from looking out for each other? What happens when pride keeps us from loving each other as Christ said to do in John chapter 13 and Paul encouraged in Philippians chapter two? Verse three says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. When you're doing something, why are you doing it? Is it to get recognition? Is it to hoard something away for yourself? A lot of times, humans, we only see the actions, but God sees your heart. He's looking at your heart right now. And that's not to scare you. That's not to frighten you. That's not to move you into fear. I hope that that convicts your heart right now. I hope it makes you ask yourself some questions. Verse three again, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And there's that word, humble, the, uh, the adjective form of humility. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. When I was young, I used to read this verse and think, yeah, but what if they're not though? I sometimes, <laughs> I wanna look back at middle school Caroline and be like, who cares? Who, ca who cares? Who cares if you're better than them, if they're better than you? Do you need that? Do you need that reassurance? At the end of the day, the need for the reassurance that we are better than our brother or sister is pride, and pride will not sustain your joy. It will kill it. 
It will kill your joy and it will divide you from your community. And we cannot let pride divide us because Jesus said that the rest of the world, remember John chapter 13, that non-believers everywhere will come to believe in him because of the way we love each other. Pastor Mark loves to use this quote. It's by C.S. Lewis. And it says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Verse four, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. What I love about the phrasing of this verse is that it isn't telling you to just never do anything for your own interests, your own good interests. That would not be helpful to your growth as a Christ follower or as a person. Who in the room likes self-care days? Self-care, yes. Self-care days have really become a thing in the last few years, a day where you like rest and relax and you practice your gratitude. And you know what's hilarious? Up until a few years ago, we just called this the Sabbath. One day a week where we don't work and we rest with the Holy Spirit and we praise him what we are thankful for. A true self-care day includes Jesus. And that is looking out for your own best interests. But, 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 but we shouldn't stop there. I wonder what the church would look like if we truly adopted and lived out the idea that we believe that a life with Jesus is in everyone's best interest. What does it look like to look out for each other? It looks like spreading the gospel like wildfire. It looks like baking a meal for a grieving family. It looks like not being ashamed of your testimony. It looks like checking in on your brothers and sisters, asking how they're doing, how you can pray for them, walking through life with them. But I will warn you, as Paul warned all of us in Philippians 2, that pride is the quickest way to neglect others and their best interest. Pride will tell you that the homeless man on the corner in need of food and a friendly face isn't worth your time. Pride will tell you that encouraging and elevating your friend in their ministry will only jeopardize you and your ministry. Pride will tell you that you don't need to worry about anybody else. It's just me and Jesus, and it ought to be that way. No, not according to Philippians 2. It ought to be the church coming together and looking out for each other's best interests as well as their own. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're trying to figure out, okay, has pride been a thorn in my flesh in my life? You may be struggling with pride and not even recognize its effects. Pride is very sneaky. Here's an example to help you think through this and just be honest, okay? Okay? We are in what I call a judgment-free zone. Do you have a habit of making every conversation about you? Like if the con conversation deters from you for like 30 seconds, do you start like itching? Let me ask you another question. Do you have a hard time accepting direction or constructive criticism? Most of the time when people can't hear from a trusted source that they're doing something wrong or could be doing something better, it's because it hurts their pride. Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you befriended someone who's been outcast? When was the last time you got to know the person that everybody else just ignores? Are you in the habit of being the hands and feet of Jesus to all of God's people? Or are you scared of the association that comes with the interaction? If you aren't sure if you're struggling with pride, I would ask you this. Do you find it difficult to compliment other people? Going a step further, do you find it difficult to compliment someone who is doing well what you also do really well? We do this in church a lot, right? 
down the street, a church pops up, they start growing, salvation by the hundreds, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know what we do? Oh my gosh, they're growing. What are we gonna do? What if they take our youth? What if they take our volunteers? What if they take our worship leader? What if they take our pastor? Are we not all on the same mission? Are we not all supposed to be acting in one mind and purpose? What is the one mind and purpose? To spread the gospel like wildfire. To win as many souls as we possibly can to Jesus. That's the one mind. That's the one mission. Here's another question to ask yourself, and it should be a very quick yes or no. Are you serving? Some of y'all are like, I am. It's okay. <laughs> I, I am. I am. <laughs> if you're not currently serving in the church or in the community, I've got some bad news for you. Listen, it's right in the scripture. Part of the mission for us on earth is to serve God's people as he did. Matthew 20, 28 says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are we not trying to be more like Jesus every day? Isn't that the goal? Jesus was humble. He didn't let pride dictate his life and influence his decisions. Jesus was humble. And maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to me talk about pride and you are honestly, genuinely thinking, Caroline, this might sound crazy, but I really don't think that's me. Because I don't really like myself all that much. In fact, I don't really like myself all that much at all. I am my own worst enemy. I hate who I see in the mirror. How can I be prideful if I have nothing to boast about, Caroline? Well, what's worth boasting about? I remind you, the gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus. I haven't finished telling you my story about how pride has played a role in my life. Eventually, I graduated high school. I went to college. And what was this arrogant, cocky, you know, fake, confident persona that I had put out kind of started to twist a little bit. And suddenly, where I felt very secure and very confident... I felt very insecure and very broken and very much not enough. A big chapter of my testimony is actually overcoming clinical depression, a panic disorder, suicidal ideation, and an attempt. A lot of you might look at me and maybe that shocks you. Even when I was going through it, it shocked a lot of people. Because I clung to perfection. I wanted to get as close to perfect as I possibly could. And if I wasn't perfect, then I was nothing. I had no grace for myself. There was no opportunity for me to grow. I put up a mask. I put up a facade. I hid my insecurities. I tried to be everything for everyone. My core fear is not being wanted or needed. Are there any Enneagram twos in the house? 
for sure. Interesting time to get excited. Here's the thing. It started to get worse. My mental health deteriorated very quickly. I made a plan to take my life on April 29th, 2017. The Holy Spirit saved me through a call from my mother. And when I came home that semester, I went into some very, very difficult therapy. The kind of therapy that when you're done, you go home and you eat a sandwich and you take a nap. Hard stuff. When I got comfortable enough with my therapist and she got comfortable enough with me and we had kind of built this rapport and I was telling her all of these things that I was struggling with, all of these things I was going through, Michelle, I'm not enough. Michelle, I'll never be good enough. Michelle, I'm not Christian enough. Michelle, people look at me and think I have it all together and I don't and that makes me worth nothing. Michelle, I will never be who I'm supposed to be. Michelle, I know the Bible talks a lot about grace, but I don't think it extends that far. I don't think I'm getting in. I don't think I'm chosen. I think I'm too far gone. And she said to me, with all of the love and all of the grace in her eyes, she said, Caroline, that's still a form of pride. I said, what? Are you kidding? How can, I, how can I be prideful? I hate myself. I hate who I see in the mirror. Hated myself enough to not want to live anymore. How can I be prideful? I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm not Christian enough. I'm too far gone to be saved by God. She said, Caroline, who are all of those statements about? You. Me. But again, it's not about me. It's about God. This is where I finally understood what true humility is. What it truly looks like was right here in Philippians chapter 2. The perfect display of humility was through Jesus Christ himself. Of all people, I think Jesus had the right to be prideful, no? If anyone had the right to be boastful, surely it was the Son of Man, the King of Kings, our Savior. And yet, what did he do? He died my death on a sinner's cross, my cross. Philippians 2, 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. For you and for me, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I said earlier that I believe that the number one thing that disrupts the body of Christ is pride. This is true because self-idolization divides, but self-deprecation isolates. Either way, pride separates believers. Whether you are self-idolizing or you are self-deprecating, you are still making it about you. I was still making it about me. What did we sing earlier? I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. We sing reckless love in church until we are blue in the face and then we walk out of those doors and we don't act like we've accepted salvation in our hearts from Jesus Christ. Why are we clinging to perfection? 
Why are we clinging to divinity that is not ours? We are denying the very essence of our salvation, which is a free gift that you did not and cannot earn. I love how the Holman's Bible Dictionary defines humility. It says that, the, that true Christ-like humility is the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. Freedom from arrogance, free from pride, and yet aware enough to recognize that God thought that you were worth paying the ultimate price for. You're right, you're not enough on your own, and you're too weak to do this by yourself. But with God, our weaknesses are made perfect by His strength. Every failure of ours is a victory of His. Every sin is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Why did Jesus come down to die on a cross if we were going to try to be our own God anyway? What was the point of the sacrifice? What was the point of the mourning, the heartbrokenness that God felt as his son was slaughtered by his own people, only to then turn around three days later and rise again and give us an opportunity and a chance to live one day forever with Jesus in heaven so long as we should just accept it. All we have to do is accept it. You don't have to be perfect. You can't. You can't be perfect. Trying to be perfect, trying to be your own God. That is pride knocking at the door, my friends. I feel so passionate and convicted about this because discovering this truth, that true humility is freeing myself from pride, but also understanding my own self-worth, this is what saved my life. I dance around like an idiot now during worship, filled with joy in my spirit. Remember when we asked, if you don't have joy, I would ask, do you have Jesus? Maybe some of you have Jesus and you still don't have joy. You know what the next question is? Do you have humility? Have you checked yourself recently? Maybe you're self-idolizing or maybe you're self-deprecating. In verse nine, it says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, you know what therefore means? It means because of what just happened. What had just happened? Christ had given up his own divinity, what made him God, what made him sinless, gave it up for you and for me to die your death, my death on a cross so that one day he could bridge the gap for us and we could live forever with him. And then God lifted him up. Stop trying to lift yourself up. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We're gonna close and I recognize that there are a lot of ways that we could close. We could go back into a song. We could sing reckless love until we're blue in the face again. 
But I actually want you to put your Bibles away, put your phones away, your notes. I want everyone in this room to take a moment to reflect. I want everyone in this room to take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us how pride is manifesting itself in our lives. Lord, am I self-idolizing? Lord, am I self-deprecating? Have I boasted on my own accord? Have I neglected your salvation for me? Take a few minutes and ask him yourselves. Let's pray that he would reveal that to you. As we continue in prayer, I would be remiss if I did not offer the opportunity to someone in here who doesn't know Jesus yet. I've said the word gospel a lot tonight. Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. What's the good news? When God created us, he created us to worship and commune with him. And then sin entered the world because of two people's pride. Because of the pride of our humanity, sin entered the world and created a divide between us and God. We were separated from his love. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then some time passed and God sent his son Jesus in the form of a man. He was perfect, he never sinned. And even though he was perfect and never sinned, he died a death for you and for me. He took our punishment, the punishment that we deserved for our sin, died on the cross. And then the miracle is that he rose again three days later defied the grave, defied all logic and reality. And he made a bridge where there was once a divide so that we might have the opportunity to dance and sing with him in heaven forever one day. We are all sinners who are in need of a savior and that savior is Jesus. And if you're feeling a tug on your heart right now, Please don't ignore it. If you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I want to tell you tonight, there is nothing better for you than a life with Jesus. Never has been, never will be. It's not always easier, but it is always better. If you feel him tapping on your heart and you want to accept Jesus tonight, I want to pray a very simple prayer with you. It's not weird. It's not magical. All we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is the son of God and devote our lives to him and we will be saved. That's it. That's it. Salvation is for all who call on the name of the Lord. The first and most important act of true humility that you could ever make is admitting that you have fallen short and that you're in need of a savior. So I wanna give you the opportunity right now 
with every head bowed and all of the eyes closed in the room. If that's you, if the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, if you wanna let go of your pride and your shame and you wanna walk in true joy in the life that God intended for you to live, would you be bold? Would you be courageous right now and just lift your hand in the air for me? Amen, I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Here's what we're gonna do as a family together. We're all gonna repeat this prayer after me. Everyone in the room say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Father, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I am in need of a savior. Lord, come into my life. Be that savior for me. I commit my life to you. I want to live my life with humility and joy. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.